Welcome to a special edition of Breaking Badness. In this bonus episode, you'll hear from Zoe Rose, a cybersecurity specialist and ethical hacker. Co-host Tarek Sala and myself sat down with Zoe to cover life as a cybersecurity consultant, advice for fellow practitioners, and their experience in the infosec space. This bonus episode of Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to our special episode of Breaking Badness, recorded on September 25th, 2019. With us today is cybersecurity specialist and ethical hacker, Zoe Rose. Today, we're hoping to pick her brain on their life as a cybersecurity consultant, advice for fellow security practitioners, and just general experience in the InfoSec space. We're also joined by domain tool security engineer and malware researcher, Tarek Sala. Welcome, Tarek. Thank you. And I'm your co-host for today, Kelsey LaBelle. And so with that, welcome to the podcast, Zoe. We're so excited to have you today, especially I know you've been traveling, making huge life moves. So it means a whole heck of a lot of us that you're willing to to sit down metaphorically with us and uh, and chat. Yeah, Dave, thanks for having me. Um, I will try to keep the background noise uh, at a minimum because I have my ferrets out and they, they're usually quiet, but every once in a while they break things. <laughs> <laughs> One of my close friends had a ferret. Unfortunately, it passed, but its name was Ferrets Bueller. Oh, so good. It's a great ferret <laughs> name. <laughs> yeah, They're very mine's, cute. Uh, mine's seven, bit and bite. I have three of them. So cute. Well, excellent. I think ferrets make for excellent background noise, personally. So Yeah, I'm cool with it. <laughs> yeah. Bring on the ferrets. Yes. Um, hey, Zoe, thanks again for joining us. Um, so I guess I just want to get the, the, the ball rolling here. Um, one of the things I love asking every security person is what areas, because security is so, uh, has so much breadth and depth and it's all over the place. Uh, what areas of security are you really like passionate and excited about? Like if you want to speak a little bit about those. Yeah, um, I, I 100% agree. Um, and it's one thing I always think is quite hilarious is when I say I work in security, everyone's kind of assumes it means IT. Um, <laughs> and I'll be honest, I it's been a while since I've worked in IT, and so I'm probably the worst at that. <laughs> but um, yeah, in the beginning, I actually got into security because I really liked uh, network architecture, and so I moved into network security. And so I think no matter where I go, that kind of is kind of retain my love for that is um, kind of understanding the connectivity and you know how things work together and why they work together and you know obviously how you can exploit that but more importantly like the value of that connectivity and even if it's not hardware based um, I also really enjoy humans and are you know just because we're very communicative very cl- collaborative beings and I, I really enjoy that connection um, and you know the positive side of like influencing people and then obviously the more shady side of the manipulation um, I find it quite fascinating Um what really makes me passionate would be probably oh, I don't know that's a hard one probably the the um, 
open source intelligence at the minute and the kind of privacy, um, because I love security, obviously, I love security controls, but I love them for a reason. You know, I like mm-hmm. to design solutions that work for my consumers. Um, I always kind of uh, say my goal of security or my goal of my career has always been to be the person I needed 10 years ago. And, hmm. you know, 10 years ago, I wasn't all that highly technical. I was pretty much just starting out. Um, and, you know, a lot of technical stuff was very, um, I don't know, almost magical to me still. And it was still learning it. And so I guess my passion is more around education and building these uh, security programs or um, communication programs that works for the you know the end user, the actual person that it's trying to protect. Yeah, yeah. No, that sounds great. And that sounds like something where you can probably see and let me know. Like you've probably seen a lot of positive impact um, when you implement those programs, and and you sound like very much like a strong security evangelist too. So I'm sure in your consultant work, you've probably seen a lot of huge impact there bringing that philosophy to the table. Yeah, definitely. Like, um, I've worked in two different types of consultant roles in uh, the UK. I'm using that the last four years as the most, you know, uh, I guess, recent examples it was mm-hmm. for you. But, um, but that went from being uh, all high networks, high profile celebrities um, to... Um, critical infrastructure and massive organizations and building solutions around those different environments were all quite different. But um, at the end of it, you know, they're all people. And so you have to build a solution for the people because mm-hmm. they're the ones using it, isn't it? And, um, and I have noticed a huge, huge change um, where it used to be, um, you know, you'd be hacked and there's nothing you could do about it. Um, if you had the money, then maybe you could you know, hire lawyers and that, and maybe they could do something. But overall, mostly, um, it was kind of a mysterious thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And now it's more so. Yeah, and now so it's more so in the in the way of you know, there's more regulations. There's more. Maybe not perfect regulations, but they exist now. And um, there's more um, publicly available information easier to use and easier to understand you know there's been a huge shift and I would say for the positive um, because even if you know for example um, there are a lot of tools available online that you know maybe could be used maliciously but they're designed in a way to teach and it actually is teaching people how to protect themselves because they're understanding how they work better right right absolutely um, and then uh, I think a lot of us are really fascinated um, in the security space about the security consultant work. I know I am personally. Um, I can imagine because I've done consultant work and the when I was a sysadmin many moons ago. Um, but let's I kind of want to talk to you about security consultant work. I imagine it brings its own set of like really unique challenges um, over more of your traditional in-house security team kind of work. Um, so those of us that have never been in the consultant space are probably really curious about what are some of the biggest challenges you see for security consultant work specifically? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would say the biggest challenge is probably the um, variety of situations, because if you look at an in-house, you have 
typically one culture or or maybe you're working in one office and um you know the specific in-house culture it's the you know the locational culture as well um it's the people you work with day to day you understand the politics you understand you know the the goal of the company and you know how the processes work whereas when you go to a larger company or you know you work uh, as a consultant, you're going in a lot of different environments. It could be one day you're working in the UK, one day working in Ireland, one day working in North America. You know, it, it's, it's kind of a variety of not just the security side, but also the people, the culture, the, you know, the company itself. And I find that um, the biggest thing is the communication. So, when I go into a client and they have a problem, maybe it's a compliance thing, they need to become compliant with something, or maybe they've been breached and they need to respond to it or, you know, remediate from it. The first thing you have to do is you have to understand, you know, who this company is, what their goals are, what they prioritize and how they communicate. Um, I would say a lot of times I tell people that a consultant is actually a translator. So whilst I understand the tech and I can speak to the tech, um, I also have to understand the corporate side, the business side, and speak the language of business, which is actually more risk versus security, and then bridge that gap. And so once I go away, it's not just a good solution in place, it's also a long-term you know, improvement program where you know the business can speak with the text and the text can speak with the business. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I definitely agree with all those points. Um, and then, uh, so I think one of the biggest areas, in my opinion, uh, one of the biggest challenges are uh, probably repeat offenders, you know, meaning if you could do security consultant work, you go on site, um, let's say you're putting on your vulnerability management hat and your goal is to, um, you know, quantify risk and kind of highlight vulnerabilities to uh, a client. Um, so, what are mm-hmm. what are the biggest uh, uh, guidances that you, or what are your biggest thoughts on or strategies on managing those biggest challenges of uh, repeat offenders? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a mix. Like when it comes to the repeat offenders of the business and the things that they've done wrong, um, I would say my approach is looking at well, why are they repeating it? Why are they continuously failing and it could be that that lack of communication because honestly <laughs> when it comes to security a lot of the times it, it's the communication side i mean look at a lot of breaches in the media they didn't properly understand the risk they didn't properly you know the text didn't properly educate the board and the board didn't properly understand the tax and uh, i would say it's kind of a responsibility of all of them to understand each other, but that miscommunication is major. Um, when it comes to, you know, the continual failure of maybe, you know, the companies putting a lot of money into their cyber program and they're not really seeing the benefit, I would say it's actually, um, funny enough, it's metrics. Uh, a lot of times it's that it's not just that they're not communicating, it's also they, they're not measuring it, so they don't really know what's working and what's not working. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes to, like, um, you know, 
all the time when people are blaming the users, saying they're stupid or they don't understand. If you really look at it, it's not that they're stupid. It's not that you know they're not they're not learning. It's more that we're not communicating properly in the sense that makes sense to the users, or we're not putting in solutions that actually work for the users. I I've gone to quite a few companies where the 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 cyber team has pretty nice technologies, like the brand new shiny equipment, but they're only using it about 20% of the time. They don't understand what the business actually needs and therefore can't implement it properly. Or they've got these beautiful, sexy, you know, awareness program training and uh, controls and all of these things, but the users are so scared about making a or so feel so, I guess, weak in their ability to to learn that they, they almost don't try. Right. And I've seen it happen where um, they'll come into the training and I'll, I'll, be, I'll have been asked to do, you know, an awareness session because for some reason they're really struggling for people to come to sessions or training. And I'll sit down and I'll be like, okay, well, let's... Let's chat about what you care about. Let's build you a you know, a threat map of your personal life. Let's look at the lives of your friends, family, your children. And then they like almost sudden, all of a sudden just perk up and are like actively engaged and interested. And they understand it because they feel safe to ask the questions mm-hmm. that maybe they would think were stupid prior to that. Or they feel energized because it's something they actually care about and something they can actually apply to their lives. Yeah. And so I would say a lot of times continuous failure is is not continuous failure. It's it's a complete lack of alignment with what we as humans learn by, like our motivations for learning and our ways of learning. And then also those on top of things that actually make it more challenging, more complex, when we could do a user acceptance test and realize actually solution X is much better and still covers everything needed, but the users actually understand it. Right, right. I think I think there's the, the, the common misnomer, in my opinion, of the uh, security. And I don't know if it's something that just security professionals talk about over drinks, uh, but there is that... Um, that whole uh, misnomer of users are stupid, and uh, I really like how well you phrase that. It's not. It's not users are stupid. It's. It's honestly. It's the onus is on us, in my opinion, as security engineers, to you know provide a solution that's user friendly and then could also help raise the bar for security. But I really also like how you addressed uh, broken processes too. Um, you know, and that's not even just mm-hmm. technical processes. That's you know processes on how. Mm-hmm. Um, the business engages users for, like, for example, phishing training. I've seen some phishing trainings where, mm-hmm. you know, they uh, will belittle users and kind of have this, you know, this attitude of, oh, I can't believe you clicked on that link. Well, you know, humans are humans. Do you mm-hmm. expect everybody to, you know, be yeah. an ultra sophisticated security person? No, that's not reality. That's what we're here for. We're here to help guide mm-hmm. the business. So I really like your, I really like your philosophy on that. The other part that I do a lot of is, um, and how how you mentioned the phishing campaigns is a great example because that's really common in businesses now that they do simulations. And the worst part about it, the part that really gets me and makes me kind of a bit sad, to be honest, is um, they, they do this campaign. It's really well done. 
but then they fail to measure the proper metrics and they fail to present the finding back in an effective way. So they've got it all set up, ready to go, and then they fail at the very end. Yeah. And the, the reason I say they're failing is because instead of saying, you know, 80% of you failed, 80% of you were caught by this phishing campaign. I mean, if you do get 80%, that's really bad, but that's just exactly what we But, um, but um, when you say, you know, 80% of you failed, that what that says to the audience is, well, if the other person failed, who am I to... Who am I to get it properly done? Like, who am I to actually catch that? Right. This is a skill set that I don't have. It's not my daily job. It's a completely different job. Whereas if you present it in the findings of, you know, 20% of you were, were correct, 20% of you actually identified it as fishing and were successful, that tells the audience, well, actually, if that person can get it or if this person could identify it properly, well, I can do it too. You know, that person's not better than you or not smarter than me necessarily. It just means that they, you know, they were able to catch it, but I can do that too. And it's almost like they feel empowered. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. Zoe, I'm sure you've seen some entertaining and horrible <laughs> <laughs> programs, but one of the best ones I've seen on social media, and I don't know if this is wonderful or brilliant, I haven't decided yet, but it was an HR email where you could unsubscribe from the phishing education, but the unsubscribe link was a phishing link. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so tricky. So cruel. Oh, that's awful. That's I know, that's right? I, I know. Mean, honestly, like, that is a big challenge, a huge challenge, I would say. And a lot of times it's this debate in industry of um, exactly what you're saying. Like, are we almost tricking our users into failing versus empowering them to protect themselves. In that case, I have no idea what the answer is, but that does sound a little bit cruel. Right. Um, I did see, I don't know, a while ago, they had a, um, a, a, a it was a, a sign-up sheet almost. Like, you know how in school you would have that, like, sheet where you'd write your name down to, like, audition for something or whatever? It was almost like that. But it was like huh. to change your password. And so you wrote down your password on this paper. I think it was going around Reddit or something. And it was it was really funny. And a lot of people failed it by actually writing their passwords down. <laughs> but then on the other side, it's like, but is that really a fair judge? Right, <laughs> right. Oh, my and gosh. I, I, yeah. I almost wonder that, um, you know, do we actually set our users up to fail sometimes? by tricking them um, and is it almost unfair and I don't know if you've ever read there's this book called Fishing Dark Water and I absolutely love this book it doesn't teach you how to fish but it teaches you the methodology of fishing and it's written by these two people that they run a company that does you know fishing for organizations and what I absolutely love about it is um, the way they describe um, how to run a phishing campaign. They don't say, you know, choose the hardest phishing email and send it to trick people. They say, you know, choose the level that your office is at for them to feel, you know, to, for them to be able to identify that it's phishing and then progress it. Mm. Don't start at the hardest. Start at the bottom because you're teaching them. And how do you teach them? You teach them from the beginning, from the start, the easiest. And then you get harder. What and a in good some point. situations, for some offices, 
you don't need to be these super crazy elite fishing recognizing monsters in some situations you just need to be able to recognize what's a typical phishing email you know and and then the rest of it maybe the more high risk employees maybe they have a bit of additional training or maybe the more high threat uh, officers they have more additional training but instead of tricking your users you're empowering them so who's to say you don't warn them by the way this week we're going to send you phishing emails yeah. you know because then they're they're ready and they're they feel like actually it's not a failure of me it's I'm working with the cyber team to mm. protect myself and the company. Yeah, totally. And mm. I really like that. I really like that strategy. That's something that I will have to consider too when I do my own phishing campaigns uh, internally. Is is and taking a step back too. Phishing is like one of the most unsophisticated attacks out there. Do you mean unsophisticated? Oh my god, that's so good. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. It's it's so fundamentally uh, easy to conduct. It's like low technical barrier to entry, um, but it mm-hmm. still works. And so I, I I really like that approach. Uh, your strategy that you talked about is you know starting off on the low level, then kind of working your way up. That's a really good way that. Um, you can conduct effective fishing training. I like that. I'm going to I'm going to use that one. It's such mm-hmm. an elementary thing too. It's not like we teach people calculus before we teach them how to divide. Exactly. So why are we doing that yeah, with exactly. any other type of training? Right. Right. <laughs> so I do stand by the thing of where you say like it's security is my job. So I know it. I know it inside and out because that's what I do. The users, the everyday people, you know, that's not what they do. Their skill set is different. They are brilliant at their jobs that I potentially couldn't even do. Security on top of that is a whole other skill that they need to develop. But we we need to stop, you know, embarrassing in them and making them feel and actually make them feel empowered and recognize that they can learn it. It's just the process. Yeah, I agree completely. Like as security professionals, we want to see our business succeed. We want to see our network be hardened. We want to see our people be educated. And in my experience, uh, in the years of doing this in different roles, um, the the security person that approaches with a olive branch is always the most successful. Like you're never going to get anything done if you approach things harshly, if you approach things uh, with shaming, uh, that's not how you get things done. And honestly, mm-hmm. you're going to build a lot of resentment uh, from your team, your security team, and your other teams or your other users too. And and good luck getting things done when mm-hmm. people don't trust you or like you. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, yeah. And uh, so I want to completely switch gears. Uh, and I want to talk about, um, you know, uh, I want, I really want to hear your thoughts on maybe the social side of information security uh, as of late. Um, so you've been in the security world for looks like quite a long time. Uh, can you talk to me about what trends you've seen from like a diversity and inclusion perspective um, uh, just on the whole information security world? Um, and also, is it getting better? I'd really like to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I, I would love to think I've been here for a while. Um, <laughs> I, I did start when I was quite young and um, about just over... 10 or so yeah just over 10 years now and I think in the beginning um where I grew up to be clear there wasn't really a uh security culture there there wasn't really cyber security information security what have you it didn't really exist 
Um, and so when I got into it, it was actually through necessity. Um, there wasn't women in tech, never mind security. There wasn't even anything called security. I think a later in life after four or five years of industry, there was one company where I lived that did cyber security and nobody really knew them that well. So I guess going from that to here, huge, massive difference for sure. But um, I think the trends of when I started were in this small little city I grew up in was information and the recognition that you know companies were liable for the information that they contained uh, people. And uh, the, the example is I worked at a uh, um, an accounting firm, Laser Grant, and uh, they were required to retain information for, I don't remember the, re- the rules, but it's like 11 years or something. And that information, they were also required, obviously, to keep it private because it's financial information. And I think that's really, you know, in the beginning of my industry, that's kind of where the focus was, retaining and keeping safe. So confidentiality and integrity because financials, you obviously want it to be yes. um, you know, accurate. Um, and then and then slowly it got to the point where actually, okay, we don't just have our information on site anymore. You know, we also have Wi-Fi that's available um, externally from our building. We also have employees working from home. We also have stuff in the cloud. And so, okay, maybe now we have to start thinking about information um, being available in you know the whole CIA availability whilst people are working remotely but also still doing it securely and then it started moving to um, obviously when I moved country as well to London um, it was also you know much bigger in the sense of much more high threat high profile employees and um, sorry and individuals where you know it's not just their work information it's also their personal lives because something that i've found people are quite surprised that still is a hacker a malicious cyber criminal not an ethical hacker doesn't stop when it you know they don't stop at that line between professional and personal they don't say oh that's that person's facebook account i'm not going to go on that you know and so then it started moving into well, as our world is more connected, because really what isn't connected at this point, um, and they realize, okay, well, we need to build solutions around this and that. And I read this really hilarious article years and years ago where it was like, nobody wants to be the company that was hacked because they didn't update their fridge, you know? And right. it just, <laughs> I find that super funny, but, um, but it's simple things like that. And then in regards to the people side, I mean, I started out in uh, information security as an IT manager at 19. And um, it was quite eye-opening, you know, seeing, dealing with all of these people quite senior in their in their careers and realizing they don't know anything about phishing or they don't know anything about X, Y, Z, you know, and then realizing, oh, okay, but it's up to me to teach them. And so I started teaching them uh, how to do their job a bit more securely. I learned more about what they did. And then I realized, you know, I learned about virtualization. Um, All at this point, you know, I was, from my point of view, the female. I would go to meetups and there'd be one or two other women, but that would be us. That would be us for the entire province. 
you know mm-hmm. and it was it was quite interesting because i'd see all these men um and sometimes they had you know, different backgrounds but a lot of times uh when i for example when i went to college or whatever it was it was programmers or developers that were going into security and they were going to do web app security and and that was that and i was the weird one doing network architecture and network security mm. and so it was this whole transition from um, information security to cyber security security through professional and personal lives and then all of a sudden all these different skill sets that were required not just developers and i mean to be fair to you know, people in the industry uh i did grow up in a small city so potentially it could have been quite different other places but i did notice that the demand for people that could do security through the network was extremely high because there was this massive lack of it everybody thought programming was the sexy side and and they looked into that and they wanted to do hacking and all of that cool stuff and here i was being like let's segregate uh, let's let's segregate the network let's do this let's do that and then i learned you know how do i break that and how do i prepare for somebody trying to break that and so i think as our industry grew the diversity through skill set just naturally grew as well um nowadays if you follow the massive companies like Cisco for example you know they started out as a network you know the the equipment uh, the hardware company and now they're moving into the priority of software and how how important software and developers are in the network industry and so you, you kind of naturally see that requirement for diverse skill sets and then you also look at you know my 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 experience getting into security was not a pleasant one um if you've ever watched any of my talks or especially the one i did at aruba atmosphere uh, this year um called discovering security you realize that actually i got into security um through my own personal well-being um i was in a unsafe situation and i needed to find a way to protect myself mm-hmm. physically as well as online um mm-hmm. i went from you know i've been hacked before i've had my abuser go on my uh, email um put images of me online and so i had to learn how to do all of this uh, to protect myself and that skill set whilst developed in a not so lovely environment is massively important because what i see today is i work with um the board and i give them you know these you know small nicely designed um, privacy exposure reports for example they're they're just a quick exercise to kind of start the communication channel and it's where i investigate with prior permission to make it a cool course uh, i investigate their personal lives and i look at their you know professional um social media and their personal social media and then i give them a presentation back it's just a one page handout that says okay well this is your exposure this is your risk and this is what i advise you do about it and it looks at anything from their family photos to their you know the emails they found on breach list for example the biggest thing that that i think that shows is that actually you know your personal use of social media is actually still quite important in your life not just you know the what you do physically in the office and um yeah no i think it's 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 quite interesting i mm-hmm. would say 
um, yeah, for yeah. for me personally because that's quite a that's quite a diverse skill set that I developed through you know my personal journey and I think that that because our industry cyber security or information security or whatever you want to call it physical security as well it well, I guess physical is a bit more mature but cyber and information security is quite an immature uh, um, sector it's quite it's quite a new industry yeah. and so we're still learning what's needed and we're still developing these skills and I think when it comes to diversity of the tech we're working really hard to get the right people in the right place and it is naturally growing but there is also a need for the the other people already in the industry to push for it and to bring the underrepresented people into industry be it um people of color people of you know different backgrounds different cultures different genders um you know anything male female non-binary to um, somebody that grew up in, you know, maybe not the best of situations, to somebody that was quite privileged. I mean, all of those experiences, points of view, and cultural changes are quite important, not just the technical side as well. Yeah. And I think the, and just, uh, yeah, thank you for that awesome answer. And I think uh, one thing that I really appreciate about uh, the growing evolution of diversity inside of the security spaces is when you have. Uh, multiple perspectives trying to solve a problem, you're going to get better answers than, than uh, you know, very like-minded people, uh, you know, people with different backgrounds, people with different, you know, upbringings and cultures. Um, it just really makes mm. a better product at the end of the day. Well, so basically, yeah, and I, that's one thing that I always, always bring up um, as an example because um, th- there's applications out there that um, they're designed for dating, for example, but um, or or they're designed for you know some sort of communication. Or uh, an example is um, uh, Spotify is a good example. So Spotify, as you probably know, is music sharing. You know, you can listen to whatever you want. You have a subscription or maybe it's a free version and you can add your friends. You can see what other people are listening to. You know, it's not designed to be bad. It's designed for good things, obviously. Whereas, you know, when I used it, I realized I can't block people. You know, I can't, Mm. if I had a stalker trying to, you know, control things in my life, they could still see my account. And, yeah. you know, has had a stalker and has had to deal with a malicious, awful person. Um, that to me is not appropriate. That should, I don't know if they've since implemented that ability, but at the time when I was using it, that was not available and I've stopped using it then. And, and I, can't imagine. I mean, the people at Spotify that no, there's no way in my mind that they would do something like that on purpose. But it could have been simply, you know, they didn't think of it. You know, it's something that they just simply didn't consider exactly. as an issue. Like, why would why would that be something you think of when it comes to music or you know all of those IoT devices we have in our homes? Mm-hmm. That's another form of control. You know, we saw in. Um, Mr. Robot, I think it was season two, where they um, they took took advantage of the fact that it was a smart home and made it go crazy so the person would leave, and then they took over that oh, home. Yeah, that to me was quite funny at the time when I was watching it. But also think of the person that is trying to leave an abuser and doesn't know what they're using in the home to watch them. 
you know, maybe they, they don't know what devices exist on their network. And, you know, it's, it's, if you have never been in that situation or you've never experienced that in your life, you might not consider that as something of a priority. Yeah, and I think a lot of this is good intentions gone wrong when it comes to uh, companies. Like for example, um, Venmo, I believe it is, is a is an app that, uh, and I don't, I'm not sure if it's an international app or if it's only something in America. But um, what it is is essentially you're able to transfer money, just like PayPal, right? I can transfer money between people, but for some reason, mm-hmm. uh, by default, uh, all transactions are posted in like a social media public forum. So I can open up the app and I could see that my friend Bob paid my friend Bill three hundred dollars for you know, whatever the reason was. And it's all posted in this large forum. And it just reminds me kind of like of, of your Spotify situation where it's like, I think this is a good intention, but man, this could be really abused really easily. And Zoe, I'm just really thankful yeah. that people like yourself and um, Ava online, Ava side and Zena Olson are talking about stalkerware. This seems to be uh, a conference mm-hmm. talk at pretty much every conference I look at at this point. And again, these are things... Mm-hmm. that I myself included would never think about. And I'm so sorry that that happened to you. And thank you for speaking out and educating people because it's a really big issue. So thank you for, for bringing that up. That's mm-hmm. definitely an important conversation. And yeah, just really appreciate that mm-hmm. you're educating people on that front. Yeah, yeah. And, and also like on, on the same thread of Stockware is, you know, the, the apps or the devices designed to track your children with good intentions of course but um if you if you look up for example there was this kid watch that uh troy hunt the um the uh creator of have i been pwned and well he's generally well known so i imagine you might know him from other things but um, <laughs> he had one of those watches and had a friend one of his friends from another country like other side of the world um hack into it and have a conversation with her and it's just you know that was designed with well intentions of course but also completely terrifying in the fact that it makes your children more vulnerable because you know somebody can have a conversation with them or maybe track them as well someone really needs to watch that episode of black mirror Oh, so good. <laughs> uh, have you seen that episode? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's too close uh, to being real. I don't know if I've seen that one, but I've seen a few that are scarily realistic. Yes, <laughs> yes, um, absolutely. These are all great points, and I'm curious too. Uh, you know, I did a lot of, I had a lot of conversations with some folks during uh, the whole hacker summer camp, which I know is across the pond, and a lot of a lot of people felt like diversity and inclusion was the best it's ever been this year which is always good to hear but i'm curious did you have a chance to go to summer camp this year i know it's a far trip for you um, so i defined summer camp a bit differently um <laughs> it's not exactly my my type of summer camp but um, i've not actually gone okay um uh, i am looking into going next year because um uh this young woman um, that I'm uh, mentoring, sponsoring, I'm looking to get her to help her apply for a scholarship to be able to go to it. Oh, cool. And obviously, if I'm getting her to go there, I probably should go as well. <laughs> um, so maybe next year. Um, but I will say, in industry, um, I have seen a massive change. And I, I am I am happy to say that from when I started, 
um, I would say there has been a huge change. I went from being told um, I'm only successful because of the fact that I'm female. I've only gotten the interview because I'm female and they want to pump their numbers. I've had people tell me that I don't actually know what I'm doing. I've had people say, you know, <laughs> um, not so, you know, maybe not safe for work comments. I've had, I've had many, many, many awful things when I started to now being accepted as, you know, an expert in industry and, you know, being able to travel internationally and speak at conferences and being recognised, you know, in, in Vogue in 2017 with three other, well, two other uh, ladies in, well, uh, kind of the same industry. Uh, one was a privacy lawyer and one was uh, does intelligence work. And, you know, recognising that, you know, we're not just a pretty face, although the other two women are very gorgeous. We're also quite intelligent and are making a huge difference in protecting the people that need protecting um, and, you know, spreading knowledge in a way that only we can do it because we have a different point of view and different experience in life so I would say there is huge positives um, I wouldn't say it's perfect but I think that we are making progress to a point where I'm actually quite proud and excited to have other people you know come into the industry I wouldn't mentor young women going into cyber if I didn't think it was a safe environment for them totally that's yes and that's fantastic. I'm so glad that you're seeing personally an improvement, too, and you're getting recognition for your hard work. You do incredible things, so that's great to hear. And um, do you have any more that you're really yeah. looking forward to here in the next few months people should keep an eye out for? I um, have quite a few coming up, actually. Um, I'll be honest, I get a bit uh, lost in the numbers because there's quite a few coming up. But, um, yeah, I'm quite excited about um, the GoTo series. There's a GoTo Berlin, GoTo Copenhagen. Um, there's Agile um, Days. There's um, DevCon. There's many, many conferences coming up. Um, and then, obviously... Uh, in the new year, anything besides, like besides Leeds, besides uh, London, all of those fun things are pretty, pretty exciting. Um, my most, I think my most exciting thing coming up is actually I'm in chat with um, the lovely people at Trace Labs, which is on your side of the pond, uh, where they do um, OSINT Capture the Flag, so Open Source Intelligence Capture the Flag events, where they actually investigate uh, missing persons. Oh, we've and then the details yeah. that they collect from that. We had a few yeah, folks do really uh, cool that CTF. They came up with the police mm -hmm. and everything. Yeah, and That's the, so and the cool. details they collect from that they actually hand over to the police after to, you know, help uh, progress those investigations. Right. So we're hoping to. Um, have them connect with people from besides London and besides Leeds, for example, um, and bring that over here as well. So that's quite exciting. I love that too. I, I really love how we can, I'm just going to use the word weaponizing. I like how we're weaponizing people's talents at uh, security conferences for more than just completing a CTF because CTFs are fun, but imagine like, you know, uh, flexing everyone's proverbial muscles uh, for a good cause like that. Uh, I know that we had, uh, Emily Hacker um, and Ryan Weaver uh, and Tim Helming uh, over this year to complete a, a – uh, I'm forgetting the name of the 
actual uh, intelligence they were doing were it was contributing towards finding missing persons. I forgot the name of that. Oh, it was a big yeah. one over in DefCon. But I thought that was so cool. So, and it's cool to hear that you're working with them on uh, incorporating that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the the people that I'm in chat with, the Trace Labs. I mean, they they do it in the US now. So it could be them. I'm not 100 percent sure. Just start chatting with them, and I know people by their handles. I don't really know them by their real names, which always <laughs> leads to really awkward things. Where it's like, oh, have you met this person? I'm like, oh no. And then I them, I'm like, oh yeah, you're the person on Twitter. Um, <laughs> I have a real hard problem with that. I'm really bad at that. Um, but but I mean. It, it is, I agree with you, it's really exciting. Like, uh, one of my really good friends, uh, Chris Cox, who also is in the US, um, he does the same thing, you know, the intelligence work, the security work, and connecting experts for um, uh, Operation Safe Escape, which is one of my favorite programs, which is, uh, it helps um, survivors of domestic abuse uh, escape their situations and, you know, start over and and that connects people in industry um to be able to help other people in session areas and it's it's all great things um it's all wonderful because you get to use your skills to help people in literal life or death situations and um and even companies like um I don't know if you've ever used tails which is a um it's an Mm -hmm. operating system uh that you can put on a USB uh, and it, you know, you just create a not persistent, non-persistent uh, bootable USB. And the reason that's so cool is because, um, uh, for example, um, Chris Cox uses that with the Operation Safe Escape. So he can share that with, you know, uh, people looking for a safe way to get information, whereas they could just plug it in, uh, investigate and pull it out. And there's no, no data retained. And so they can do it without leaving a trace and actually, you know, potentially uh, being able to get more information than they would have if they didn't have that option. Huh, that's really interesting. Thank you for sharing all these different bits and pieces with us. I really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. We'll make sure that these are all featured in the blog posts we do as well so people can go look into them more and get involved and participate. Good. Yeah, awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, lovely. So one of my favorite things about conferences, since we're on the topic of conferences, uh, I really take that opportunity to, you know, there's a social aspect, which I love, but except calling people by their handle names, I just, I can't do that. It's so weird to me calling someone (laughs) zero cool or whatever. I'm like, no, your name's Bill or Mary. I'm going to call you Mary or Bill. (laughs) Uh, Anyways. uh, You know what, though? It's hard. It's hard. You don't know them by any other name until you meet them in person. It doesn't just switch. It just stays like that. I'm right. <laughs> You're not wrong there. You're not wrong. I just have to, I always kind of push it a little bit. I'm like, I know you go by Zero Cool, but what's your real name? Because I'm not going to call you that in public. <laughs> this is me. This is my personal thing. <laughs> but since we're talking about conferences and stuff, one thing that I love to do is like learn about new techniques or tools to, to help me grow my skills, right? Uh, to be better at what I do. Um, and I really love asking other practitioners too. Um, what do you do to keep your skills sharp and relevant? Like, what are your strategies around staying sharp? Yeah, um, I guess it's a mix. It depends on what uh, what the skill is. Like, for example, um, I I got my Splunk architecture certification a couple of years ago now, and uh, what I do for that is I just you know work in 
uh, build labs so that I can play around with the settings and you know make sure I don't forget <laughs> what I'm doing. But if it's stuff like um, OSINT, so in investigation sort of um, open source investigation stuff, uh, sorry, open source intelligence, I, I try not to use a shortened like, uh, term so that everybody can understand, but sometimes I so, but, but yeah, so for the open source intelligence work, um, I do, I, I, to be honest, I dock myself. I dock my friends with prior per- permission, of course, because otherwise, like I always say, if you're going to do it, do it with permission. Otherwise, you're a complete creep. But um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and, and it, the other really, really brilliant thing is I write blogs. And the reason I say it's so brilliant is not because I'm good at writing, I'm not the greatest, but um, the benefit is teaching other people is a great way to actually learn more. And it's a great way to you know retain your skill, but also learn it much more in depth. And so I find speaking at conferences, for me, is wonderful, or doing mentorship or doing training is wonderful, especially awareness training. Because you're benefiting the audience, but you're also helping yourself because you know you're you're remembering how to do things. Um, some people don't like speaking, um, or some people just that's not their thing, which is completely fine. But if you can write a blog post or share some information with your friends that maybe isn't technical, that's a great way because if you can teach it, you know it really in depth. That's right. And, Absolutely. Um, it's one of the um, one of the yeah, things too with uh, I I think that's totally spot on. One of the things that I've uh, started to do personally is um, is like contribute on the blog side more and more. But one of the things that I found that it does is it makes me triple, double, quadruple check all of my facts and all my data, um, which I think really helps like buff your skills up. So that's a that's a really good point too. Yeah, hundred percent, and and it makes. For me, it makes me branch out into other industries to make sure that the you know the advice I'm giving is is good for everyone. Because I I'm not going to give you know the best solution for you. You always have to look into what works for your specific environment. Mm-hmm. But I also don't want to give bad you know advice that maybe it's so irrelevant to your industry. So I actually start learning about um, other other industries and other you know scenarios and uh, one thing that uh, this woman that i'm talking about earlier um uh, she's learned and uh, is uh, she's doing a lot of self-study at the minute and she's like you know it's really it's really hard because you know it does require discipline to continue going but you actually go down so many rabbit holes where you learn so much more in such more you know depth that it's actually really exciting Mm-hmm. So I think that's a great way if you're, you know, bored and want to learn something new is just keep looking at what you're doing and you'll end up going completely in the opposite direction just naturally even. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And that's some really awesome advice. Um, I think my like final question to you is you've given us, you've given the entire audience like tons of really good points, really good ideas, really good philosophies. Uh, do you have any other uh, kind of like final advice that you'd want to share with people, especially ones that are catered towards uh, new to the security industry, right? We're, we're growing so much as, a, as an industry and there's so much demand. What would be, and it's a tough water to navigate, what, what piece of advice if you had to give one or two uh, that are uh, for people that are new to the industry? For, for people that are brand new to the industry and people that have been in for even, you know, 
a couple of years. My biggest advice um, and what I wish I could have taken when I was younger is to stop questioning your value. Um, I, I actually was recently talking to this woman uh, who's doing a um, OSINT talk. Um, brilliant, brilliant woman. I've been helping her just kind of giving my advice as, as I've done a bit more speaking engagements. You know. And the biggest thing I noticed is she's ridiculously intelligent. She knows her stuff and she still gets, just like me, to be fair, gets nervous when people ask certain questions. And, and I'm like, you know what? You've got the right answer. You know what you're doing. You know, feel feel a bit more confident. You don't have to know everything, mind you, but realize that actually you do know what you've been trying to study. You know, you do know your stuff and to stop questioning. And that's, that's not the best, you know, not the easiest advice to go by because I do it too. I question myself all the time. Imposter syndrome is a real, real problem, especially in this industry where we're expected to know everything. But yeah, it's intimidating. Kind of build up your confidence and and remember that you know you do have value, and you know the advice that you give is actually really good because you know more than you think you do. You don't know everything, mind you, but you do know. You do know more than you think, and and maybe just try and practice ways to you know maintain your confidence. Because the worst thing, and the one thing that I've run into you um, before, is getting to a place where you're so unsure of yourself, where you actually have to reset and rethink and kind of address your insecurities in your own industry. Because unfortunately. There are pressures of, you know, the world that kind of expects you to know everything and that's just not possible. Amen. So, yeah, I think confidence <laughs> is my biggest, biggest uh, point of advice. I love that. And my second is, <laughs> and my second is um, find your people. Like Communities are really important and they help with your confidence and they help you, you know, they even help you get jobs really um and just you know find people that you can relate to and that you know work in your industry doesn't have to be the exact same but someone that you know if you need help you can turn to and ask advice for i mean the benefit of moving to london for me and now ireland was um finding mentors that i really really can connect with and when i really need it i can just chat with them and they just make me feel a heck of a lot better that's really that's fantastic advice without question and the imposter syndrome comes up a lot. We just actually spoke with Jennifer Leggio, the Flashpoint Intel CMO actually over there and she was speaking a lot to imposter syndrome and um that's gr- again fantastic advice and you're absolutely right on community finding. I was at Cocktail Con at um at the summer camp here in Vegas and it was really cool and energizing to be around a bunch of people that all knew each other by their Twitter handles and were, cha- you know, talking to each other. And they would actually, they would lead with the person that was there with me that was so kind to invite me, Zena Olson, um, with their Twitter handle name and then would say like, oh, and their their name is this. But that Twitter handle name was always the first thing they mentioned, which I loved. Um, but yeah, that was really fantastic to see that community and, and to be a part of it. So again, great yeah, yeah, advice. Definitely. That's what I love about conferences. Yeah, it's a, it is a wonderful warm place to be, and hopefully we can continue to improve yeah, as an industry and and making safe places for all communities. To your point, and and there's always 
there's always ways to improve in that in that place. And so glad to hear it's getting better, but always want to continue to be a part of making it even better. Um, Mm -hmm. But I just want to thank you so much for your time here, especially when you're going through, again, all these amazing things in your life. Um, It means so much to us that you could take your afternoon and chat with us and share your insight and your advice. We're really excited to publish this and share it with with the world, if you will. And and thank you again. We really appreciate it. (laughs) Lovely. Thank you for having me. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's all we have for this week. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.